0: I can't imagine someone else being the most recognizable person or the number one law firm in Alabama. Not on my watch. That's Alexander Shannara, founder and president of Alexander Shannara Personal Injury Attorneys. I joke around that if I ever drive in Alabama and somebody has a larger law firm or is more popular than I am or more branded, I'm just gonna jump off a bridge because it's just who I am and it's just what I do. And the climb is fun, but staying on top is actually harder than actually the climb itself. I'm Michael
1: Mogul, founder and CEO of CRISP, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. CRISP started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. Today, we're revisiting one of our most popular episodes from the podcast where I sat down with Alexander Shannara. Alex was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama, and has become one of the most recognizable faces in the state of Alabama and beyond, thanks to his billboards, over 2,000 of them and counting, and his now iconic slogan, Call Me Alabama. As far as law firm growth goes, Alex's firm is a powerful example. He's got over 70 attorneys and 17 offices in the Southeast, and they try cases in every single state in America. For this episode, I sat down with Alex to talk about the thin line between success and failure and what grit and determination look like
0: when you're on top of your game. There have been times where I have driven to people's homes at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. That's coming up on the Game Changing
1: Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. Alex's advertising campaigns have become an iconic part of the fabric of Alabama and seem to have even taken on a life of their own. There are fan pages on Facebook, meme accounts on Instagram, and even people who dress up
0: as the man himself on Halloween. It's flattering, really. You know, I didn't really intend for any of that to happen. But, um, yeah, they do dress up as me. as Halloween. Uh, If I can't go to the mall anywhere, you know, without hearing something like a call me Alabama or... I just went to a football game, you know, this past fall, and I, from the, where I parked to the stadium was only about a half a mile walk. I had to sign my posse that was with me was counting. I, I had to stop for like 43 photographs, and the, I pretty much missed the kickoff. But I, I think it's great because I mean, it's my business, it's my brand. I'm actually the brand, which you know didn't intend that either. But 15 years ago, when I started this. I really honestly didn't think I was building a brand. This is like the overnight success, 15 years in the making, right? Yes, sir. Hey, it's actually our 18th year, but uh, obviously the first uh, two or three years, it was very lean and we still have it. And it's a uh, dear to my heart. We call it the Shannara swag, you know, where you're, mm-hmm. so I still do that every day. And uh, we have probably a hundred swag items at all times, but uh, that's how I started, you know, where you just from the business cards to shaking the hands to the refrigerator magnets to, And um, to the hot sauce, to the hot sauce, to just anything to try to um, get someone to remember you.
1: Alex is the face of billboards in the state of Alabama, and his marketing success is partly thanks to his propensity to keep his ear to the ground and adapt to the changing legal landscape. Like many legal titans, Alex began
0: advertising in phone books, but with the rise of the internet, things began to shift. When I move, I move pretty fast, but I have to see something that kind of just strikes me to move. And I was just reading the paper. you know. I like uh, the financial markets also and stuff that interests me. And I had saw that San Francisco had outlawed phone books. I think it was a Wall Street Journal or USA Today. And it just resonated with me. And I love my state, but you know, we move a little slower than people in San Francisco and out West. And the fact that the city of San Francisco had made it uh, against the law, I guess, to put the paperbacks I knew we were headed where print was, unfortunately, no offense to anyone in the print business, you know, it's awesome. But in regards to attorneys and attorney advertising, that that was not where we were headed. And so I called, actually, it was a friend of mine and actually a relative, a distant relative, who I had all my ads with. And I called him up that morning. I said, hey, I'm canceling all my phone book ads at the end of the year. And I went to um, Lamar Advertising. And I said, hey, your inventory space is about 40% off because all the car dealers had pulled and everybody had pulled and they really were struggling. I said, what are you doing with all your empty billboards? And they said, we use them for public service, uh, you know, or PSAs or something. And I said, yeah, they're empty. You're not getting any money. And uh, of course got the rate cards on them and then made this outlandish offer at the time. It was a very low amount. And um, uh, they said, no, we could never do that. And I said, well, you know, this amount is better than no amount. And believe it or not, a month later, they came back to me. And uh, that's kind of how it started. And I bought 100 billboards at that time. And and I'm not looking for credit. Maybe I shouldn't even say this. I think I was the person who actually started the whole phenomena of lawyers getting massive amounts of billboards. And so I feel like they've all emulated me. Uh, I can name 10 lawyers in 10 cities who went and did the same thing that I did. The thing about the space we're in, it's the personal injury space. or the You don't know when someone is going to need you. So it's a one-time deal. And most people are only injured. The unfortunate, now I've had some clients who've been injured four or five times, and I don't know if they are magnets for accidents, but you only get one shot at them. So any successful law firm, it's a marathon. And you have to think of it as long-term. And that was really easy for me when I got in the billboard space. You know, I said, okay, I love practicing law. I'm 40 years old. I'm never leaving Alabama. Um, I was born there, I'm raised there, I'm gonna die there. I'm not gonna ever do anything else and just making that calculated decision. And so, so the billboards will probably be with me. Now, I think the picture needs to change when I'm 70, but, <laughs> but it's, been, it's been a good fun run. Alex's strategy of advertising at a large scale
1: has not only involved a tremendous amount of commitment, but also risk. I wanted to know what the key turning point was in his career the moment when he decided to go all in.
0: Well, I've always had a propensity to always just reinvest in my business. Um, I think I was just born and raised that way. Those are principles that my dad taught me. Uh, Shout out to my dad. He just turned 83 on March the 5th, and uh, he used to take me to the flea markets when I was 10 years old, and that's why I think I'm so good with people. But uh, we all have that, I guess, you know, you reflect back that aha moment, and there was a... um, in about 2007, or excuse me, in 2005, I met a client by the name of Ivan Phillips, and um, he was just in a simple auto accident where he laid his motorcycle down and it just broke his arm, and he came into my office, and he said he had mentioned like to two or three lawyers that he wanted it done on a reduced rate because he was uncomfortable with the hospital bills, and that they had filed a lien on him, and it kind of spooked him out, and he didn't really understand what that lien meant on his house. And uh, he said, I want you to do it for a very reduced rate. And it took me about two seconds to say, sure, I'll do it. And I ended up taking that case. And to be honest, I had to kind of delay the case because there really wasn't much to do, but we ended up getting the entire policy. And then a couple couple of years later in 2007, the summer of seven, I'll never forget it, his wife was blowing me up and he ended up losing his uh, leg at the railroad. He was a railroad worker. And um, of course, we ended up retaining it. And uh, during the course of the next couple of years, actually two other guys lost their legs at the railroad. And so I ended up getting three individuals. And then somehow, by working hard, they all settled in the summer of 09. And that was the first time in my life that I had had, I guess, some really a couple of million dollars of cash flow. And uh, I just made the determination that I was going all in. And at the same time, like I said earlier, that's when I, was, I had just read that the San Francisco had outlawed the phone books and um, I had this money. And so between television and radio and uh, seeing the market and who the players were, you know, something as simple as getting your Cantar Media and saying like, I went from like being the sixth or seventh spender in the market to like in one month, being first in all categories. And uh, that was my all push in moment. While many law firm owners might make
1: their first million and think of riding off into the sunset, Alex doubled down. He reinvested
0: his earnings back into his firm, paving the way for future growth and greater goals. I just think it's a commitment to your business and I think delayed gratification. And I see that with a lot of young people like I, and I don't even know if I should say this on a podcast. So my first Rolex was on my 50th birthday. And I like nice things too, but um, I just feel like I wasn't at the point where I deserved a Rolex, or it took a priority over my business, or my employees, or you know, making sure my family had a nice home. I would say if, you, if I passed away today and you counted my estate, I'd say 80% of my wealth has been in the last five years, and it reminds me of Nick Saban. I love him, obviously, from being from Alabama. Most people don't understand. I studied him. He was an assistant coach for 20 years, and I think mm-hmm. I've told you that before. Nobody even gave Nick Saban a shot for 20 years. But then he gets his first job, you know, with um, a Kent State, his school, and then on to Michigan State, and then the Cleveland Browns, defensive coordinator, et cetera, et cetera, in Miami. Mm-hmm. And if you look at him now, he came in in Alabama at $5 million, and now he's up to $12 million. He's bought a couple of huge Mercedes dealerships. And um, so if you stay the course – and just continue to do what you do, if you know, we're worried about taking care of our families or generational wealth or whatever we're trying to amass, it's always gonna come at a later time. And I still think, even though I've said that about myself, I think the next, I think five or 10 years from now, I can probably still make that statement that hopefully 80% of my wealth has come within those past five years, because I think it continues to grow upon itself. So what is, what is driving you through all of this? I don't know, I just think I'm different. I don't know, you know, I think that's the old debate. Oh, why? So I, I don't know if you're born with it. I think you're born with a little bit of it. I think you're, the principles are taught from your, um, like to me, you know, I was born with it. And then I was um, introduced to it by my father at a very young age. And then it's a combination of just being competitive. You know, when I got to law school, I wanted my grades to be as as good as anybody else's grades. And then when I got in the personal injury space, and maybe this is funny, but I I, I can't imagine someone else being uh, the most recognizable person or the number one law firm in Alabama. You know, those are not on my watch. And I joke around that if I ever drive in Alabama and somebody has a larger law firm or is more popular than I am or more branded or... I'm just going to jump off a bridge because, you know, know, that's funny, but there's no meaning for me anymore because it's just who I am. And it's just what I do. And the climb is fun. But staying on top is actually harder than actually the climb itself. So I want to talk about that. I mean, it's always
1: interesting. I, I asked myself this question probably about a dozen times every single day. What would it take? I mean, if, if you just mentioned somebody, let's say with an enlarging law firm or somebody to take down the Shannara firm, like what would it take to essentially put a dent in your business or to put you out of business? Because I'm sure this this probably keeps you up at yeah. night. I find some of the most successful people are also some of the most paranoid.
0: I think it's called, you know, paranoia is a good word or fear is a good thing in certain circumstances. And I think so it's the fear of regressing that keeps you motivated. But I truly believe this with all my heart. When you reach a certain level, no one can take you out but yourself. And when I go to bed at night, I pray for sound mind and sound body. Because if my mind is sound and my body is sound, or no catastrophic event, you know, with uh, maybe a family member or something, um, I don't think anybody can take us out. Now, we can take ourselves out. Um, You've seen that with an example like Joe Paterno or, Mm -hmm. you know, it it really doesn't take very much, you know, being accused of some crazy crime or something and uh, and the public will turn on you pretty quickly. Yeah. So you got to be very, very careful.
1: So then in, in your belief, what's separating some of the most successful firms and the successful law firm owners from the ones that may not
0: be as successful? First of all, you have to have the want to. And so I just finished doing my uh, 65 attorney um, attorney evaluations just recently, it took almost like two months to do them. But um, the one thing I've learned, unless they want to be a good lawyer, unless they want to make more money, unless they want to do anything, or any human wants to do anything, unless you have the want to do it, it really doesn't matter. And now if you have the want, then there are ways to accomplish those things and to get to the next level. But you know, to answer your question directly, I just think, you know, there's many factors, but if you have the want to and if you're disciplined and if you'll take the time and if you'll learn the space and you'll take calculated risks and you'll invest and you'll hire the right people and you'll be patient and um, in your personal life, you know, if you're staying healthy. I've seen a lot of my lawyers who married the wrong spouse, or maybe he was the wrong spouse. Things like that can affect them. You know, I've always said this to you, um, there's a very thin line uh, between love and hate, and I think there's even a thinner line between success and failure.
1: Throughout our conversation, Alex talks about treating his firm like a business, something that most successful firm owners I speak with have in common. It's an approach that requires you to not only pay attention to how you try cases, but also how you lead, market, and hire. This means
0: stepping back from working in the business to working on the business. You know, sometimes you have to step back because, you know, I think I'm always self-reflecting. I have learned that there's not just one way to be successful. Um, You know, and for me personally, I'm always trying to become better and learn different techniques and But in the past, I have always been a control freak myself, and they tell me that um, I believe in, say, extreme ownership um, because I know how important every, you know, just how we answer the phone or customer service or um, the most important thing, you know, in our business, you know, you get a, a lead. And it would drive me crazy if, if we didn't call them back within five minutes. You know, now we don't let them off the phone. But in the past, they'd call in, you know, you take a message, you know. I was always just, I guess, is it OCD? I don't even know the terms. I mean, I look, there have been times where I have driven to people's homes at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Now, you get a little bit older, and, you know, you talked about compromising your health and so forth and so on. But, you know, it's the little things that make the huge difference it's it's just the extra thing, and you know some people don't, don't some people don't want to live like that, and so I think, and some people say I have no life, but this is my life, and I love my life, and I enjoy what I do, and um, I don't want to fish. While they're fishing, uh, you know the joke is I'm fishing for marlins, which are what we call pretty catastrophic cases. Uh, even last night at dinner, they were like, "Well, Alex, do you play golf?" I was like, "No," and they're like, "Well, what do you do?" I said, "I chase marlins." <laughs> You know, it's a joke, but, you know, I, I run my business. They're like, would you vacation? No. What do you mean you don't vacation? I was like, well, I'm going on spring break with my family to New York for a week. You know, that's great. And, you know, in the summertime. But look, my life is a vacation. I'm in Atlanta today with you. That's a vacation. I ate at a five-star restaurant yesterday. We're at the Waldorf Astoria. It's incredible. So, you know, going to Vegas to speak. You going to Miami. I mean, while you're working there are great restaurants everywhere. You can go see a show at night when you go to New York. I mean, so that is vacation. So I love when you mentioned
1: that in terms of like marlin Fishing and, the, and these catastrophic cases, I don't think a lot of people know this because they may think they see the billboards, they see the, the TV commercials and they see Alexander Shannara and they think, well, that's just a bunch of, you know, high volume, low value cases. They don't know that you may bring on some of the most catastrophic cases in, in the state of Alabama. You have one of the most experienced trial
0: teams. Yeah, you know, that's something I'm very proud of. I think we are one of the first firms that, so it, traditionally, you have um, law firms that advertise a tremendous amount, you know, like here in Atlanta, I, to my knowledge, and, and not to be disrespectful of anyone, all the high volume firms do not litigate. I know they don't litigate. Um, all you have to do is look up, you know, Georgia court or, you know, in Alabama, we call it ala or. And there's no cases filed by their names. But traditionally, the firms that do that uh, can't do litigation. And then you have traditionally the litigation firms for the longest time that um, just litigate. And so it's they kind of respected each other's space. And then you have your smaller firms who may refer. But about seven or eight years ago, actually in 2013, I went and hired probably Ten of the best litigators in Alabama, and um, we've actually tried more cases in the last honestly seven years than any law firm have the most verdicts. You know, and I'm biased, but I think we're the best trial law firm in the Southeast. I mean that respectfully. And there's some very good lawyers like here in Atlanta, like Joe Freed is a very good lawyer, the Shivers Hamilton law firm, uh, Pete Law. But uh, I would put up my lawyers against them any day of the week, and. Um, I mean, we just got an $18 million verdict a few months ago, a $5 million verdict. I mean, we have a case right now that if we try, we think we can get $100 million on it.
1: We see a lot of firms focusing on a lot of things like pay-per-click, any type of short-term drivers, lead services, things like that that make the phone ring today, perhaps, but are becoming heavily dependent upon those sources at the expense of not focusing on their brand. What,
0: what are your thoughts? I think it's a balance. You know, I think you always have to take a certain amount of your money and allocate it towards branding. I mean, at the same time, you have to survive. And so, um, you know, direct, I guess, traditionally back in the day, direct response advertising, you know, where, you know, we did a lot of television at the time and we still do a lot of television, but, you know, where you make the actual call for action and say, call me Alabama or pick up the phone right now and call me because you, you need revenue and you need cases. But in terms of trying to, build a brand and build a tagline and be consistent on all the different channels. And, um, you know, we were talking uh, in the past about the book called Positioning and about all the brands. And we are the most overcommunicated society in the world, even 20 years ago. I mean, if there's all kinds of stats that are in that book, but people don't have a very short memory and there's only so much they can remember. Even in my own phone, so I know this works, like, uh, my plumber's name is Joe, and I don't know his last name. It's just Joe the plumber, and because that's all we can remember. And you have to figure out what makes—you have to be synonymous with something. And so now, you know, we're trying to change. You know, we, we, we're moving in different directions. Our, we have a, a lot of practice areas now. We do actually property damage claims, wind storms, fires, catastrophic injuries. Pretty, you know, it's very diverse. But— when I started this business, I said that even 20 years ago, I knew this. It's just like, when they think Alex, I want them to think Car That's all they can remember, Alex, Car And how do I do that? And that was the mission that I tried to accomplish.
1: And since then, I mean, you've expanded well beyond just all the traditional mediums, I mean, everything you know, from the phone books to the billboards, but then you know, TV and radio, and
0: then even, even in recent years, going fairly heavy on, on digital. The digital space is not going anywhere. It'll just continue to evolve. Um, You know, maybe 20 years from now, there'll be something even different, but this is the first year, I think, uh, where it may have been last year, where corporate America now spends more money on digital than they do on any traditional mediums. And do you think, I mean, when we talk about digital and we talk about
1: social media, We've been talking about this for years now at conferences and so on. But even though we see law firms and law firm owners that that are on, let's say, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, they're still not investing a significant portion of their marketing dollars on
0: social media yet. What what do you think is their reluctance and what do you think it will take? The digital space, just like any space that you don't understand, um, you know, it's gotten a bad rap that... there could be some snake oil salesmen in that space. But, you know, that's in every space. If it's, you can be taking advantage in the TV space, the radio space, uh, the billboard space. It's about learning the space. And, you know, a lot of the law firms that, uh, you know, we are, um, the successful ones are older guard is what I call them. And it's not your Anthony Johnsons of the world and your 20 and 30 year old guys that, you know, Um, you know, who are growing up in the digital world and understand the digital world. So they're reluctant and they're afraid of it. And um, they just have to trust the process and trust, you know, I just trust that even though I can't see it, I can't measure it. Maybe even though you can, like you said, with PPC and funnels and clicks, Um, it's really you have to just trust that if you have the right people in place, that um, it's a marathon and it'll work for you on the long term. Yes, I agree. I mean, it's so much of what
1: you're speaking to is really the long game. And when you're making an investment in any type of marketing or anything with the firm, you're not expecting a return tomorrow or a few hours from now. Like, what is your outlook on, on things like that? Because it seems like you have a, a level of patience for any
0: any sizable investment. If you think about the brand I have now, I know how much money we spend on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, on a, on a monthly basis and on a yearly basis. But it's gonna be interesting over the next 10 years, I put 150, $160 million in my brand from 10 to 19. And I will continue to spend the same amount of money if not even more. But I wonder how much of that money is just going to, uh, that I spent 10 years ago, are just going to be honestly like free cases just because the brand was built. And the fact that even though they may call me in 2022, maybe you could make an argument that it was the continuation of what I did in 20 or 21, but it's probably had a lot to do that they watched me from 15 to 18, 15 to 19, 15 to 20, 20, 15, you know? So when Coca-Cola sells a Coke this afternoon or a Diet Coke, or when I stop it, you know, trying to get some caffeine on the way home, I actually like Coke zero. Why did I buy that Coke? Is it because I went to the Coke museum? Is it because I've been watching Coke since I was, since my mama told me it was a Coke when I was three years old and I'm 53, that's who I'm trying to mirror. Mm-hmm. The Cokes of the world, the Disney's of the world, the, just the real brand, if it's possible, in the attorney space. You
1: know, there's, there's a saying, and I, I may be you know, butchering this to some degree, but when you look at brands like Ferrari, for example, they're sold at six years old and purchased at 60. Yeah, that's you know? So it's like if someone's that's got- That's a great saying. And you think about that's a, that's a long cycle. You know, you're looking at 54 years there, but you know, the person who's buying it at 60 years old didn't just hear about it recently. They had that poster on their wall in their room when they
0: were growing up. So I just purchased mine at 53. I have a California red Ferrari that uh, I just bought about a year ago. It's it's a very fun car. It's not here in Atlanta with me today, Mm -hmm. but it's a great weekend car. It's great to take your wife to dinner in and, but this, I mean, this again, this emphasizes kind of that longer
1: sales cycle, if you will, that longer brand cycle. And this is the, this takes a mindset shift without a doubt, I mean, because I agree. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, there's things that firms have to do right now to survive to get the phone ringing this week, this month. But at the same time, I mean, even if it seems like in your case, you built so much brand equity and so much brand trust that
0: even if a medium were to shut down. I don't really care what shuts down, you know. And, you know, we we hear things like in Alabama, respectfully, to to try to slow down the lawyers. You know, you've got the whole First Amendment speech that uh, they want to vanilla down some of the marketing. They want to take away testimonials. They want to take away verdicts. They want to take away—actually, I think that would help me. If you want to to make us all look vanilla and you want to make us all stand in front of a whiteboard with some uh, fake law books behind us and— That actually helps me because I'm just going to do the same ads that everybody else does, but the fact that I've been doing it, I'm going to say, I'm Alexander Shinar, call me Alabama. If any industry that gets, um, I guess, restricted because of legislation or something, it's only going to benefit the people that are already there because creativity is what gives people the chance to maybe usurp someone or to be recognized. So that would be the biggest mistake they could make. But you never know, sometimes uh, they don't think the way that you and I think.
1: Mm-hmm. But that would help me, actually. I've always been curious. What does a day in the life look like for you, Alex? Like, What's a day in the life of Alexander Shinar?
0: You know, I get up early now, very, very early, um, and it's just natural. I get up probably at 5 a.m. I've started working out in the mornings, but I still really like the night, which is a little different. I eat a healthy breakfast, and, um, but I'm in the gym pretty early. And uh, I mean, it worked pretty early. And uh, in the law business, there's two ways to handle it. You can either let your practice run you or you can run your practice. And I'm always on the offensive. And I run my practice because, you know, the law is a jealous mistress. It can eat you up. Uh, you can get bogged down. I mean, I mean think about this. So I, This is how I try to explain this to my clients. I mean, excuse me, my lawyers, and they make me very upset sometimes, but you know, I love them and they're a great team. It's like, do you remember when you went to college? And they're like, sure. And I was like, do you remember when you had five classes? Yes. Do you remember when you had like 10 assignments in five classes? Uh, yeah, that was, a, that was rough. I was like, you were always stressed out. You were always burdened because you had like 10 things to do in five classes. It's 50 things. I said, well, now you have... 200 files and you need to do 20 things in each one of those files to move the ball because the day we get the file is what I call that's A and the day we close the file or get a verdict is Z. and you have to know how to manage how to get every file from A to B to C to D and you have to be able to balance all that and then lead your team to help you get there so um, stop talking in the hallway Go work those 200 files that we have. We have a duty and a responsibility. We're supposed to be competent and zealous and diligent and all the bar rules. So you're violating the ethical rules right now. So please go to work. And that's uh, that's so interesting to me. So even even now,
1: after all these years, it's like still in the office. Like it's it's still raising the standard, pushing the standard,
0: reinforcing the standard yeah. with, with your team. And always um, having teaching moments. I, I like that. That's something that I really adopted. It's always a teaching moment, you know, always, you know, you can do this a little bit better because if you decide you want to be in this field, I mean, you decided you wanted to work at this firm. You decided you wanted to practice law as as civil. You decided you wanted to work at a, you know, a tort practice. Well, let's make the most of it. And this is how you can do the best job for your clients. So thank you, Oxumian. And to close this out, because I've got to ask, because of the
1: nature of this podcast where we interview game changers what does being a game-changing attorney mean
0: to you it means always setting the standard raising the bar being the best of the best i hope you enjoyed revisiting
1: this episode of the game-changing attorney podcast with our guest alexander shanara and have gained new insights from our timeless conversation If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that I can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of my book absolutely free at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691, and I'll answer any question that you've got for me. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it'll help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on our interview with Alexander Shannara, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit legalpodcast.com.